0: let's do this the cult of hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful i'm david staples at the edmonton journal and i'm here today with bruce mccurdy hey bruce hey david how are you doing tonight good 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 just back from a hockey practice
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah still I'm, I'm it was a practice for me i take a class in hockey so oh, yeah. on monday nights and uh it's an excellent class
1: it's getting schooled are you
0: Yes, you can never, never know enough about hockey being taught by one of the great masters of the game, Jim Fleming,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who played at the U of A. And uh, it's funny, it's just every time I learn learn something, it's like I'm learning it afresh for the new time. Like it just seems hockey's a very, very challenging game, Bruce. That's all I'm going to say. Oh. Endlessly difficult game to play and to teach. Bruce just when we thought the Ken Holland season was over and we did a podcast saying as much, he goes and signs a top six winger, uh, kind of the last thing on, uh, you know, uh, the thing that I was hoping for another top right. six winger, everyone was hoping to see that. And he, he went and done it. He got Dominic Cahoon, 25 year old, uh, player of Czech origin, who uh, I understand, who grew up in Germany playing in the German minor hockey system, played with Mm -hmm. Leon Dreisaitl. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're going to talk about that. We'll talk briefly about, uh, I've been going over videotape of Dmitry Samarukov and Yesapulya Yarvi. You've Mm -hmm. had a brief look at Raphael Lebois. I don't know if you're ready Mm -hmm. to talk, give your first impressions.
1: A little bit. Yeah, sure.
0: First impressions. Okay. So let's just start out. What do you think of the Cahoon signing? What does it mean for the oh, Oilers?
1: I'm very pleased. The only thing I'm not pleased about is that I I was going to write a post about this guy as being a hard target for the Oilers. I singled him out way back on the 9th of October, entering free agency, as a kind of guy they should go after, and I did point to his um, uh, his long history with Leon Dreisaitl. Uh They are both 1995. Uh, uh, Babies, and they both came up through the same program. Imagine two future NHLers, one of them a Hart Trophy uh, winner, playing uh, under-16 hockey on the same team in Germany. Not exactly your most hockey-powerful country, right? It would be like having two future NHLers playing in the Morinville League or something, right? I mean, it would just be... be uh... Anyway, they dominated to just a ridiculous extent. I had a lot of fun just looking up their stats... Uh, Cahoon as a as a 15 year old, 30 games played, 69 goals, 206 points, and his line mate Leon Drysaddle, 29 games, 97 goals, 192 points. So Leon was the sniper and Cahoon was the playmaker, and you know what that 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 sort of Permeates through their extensive, extensive record playing together. This is this is the thing that fascinates me here, is that these guys have been playing together since 2009, and there's only been two years since then that they haven't played. At some point during the season, some tournament that they haven't uh, they haven't wound up on the same team. And I think from from memory and just by you know the tendency of the stats, I I think usually line mates. I mean, if you were a coach and you had guys that played together for a lot of years and you were putting together a a national team, you'd stick those guys together. It'd be automatic. So they know each other pretty well. And uh, so uh, that's sort of one foundational piece of why I thought he might be a good fit for the Oilers because of this, this relationship. I mean, Leon himself put in a plug for Cahoon in 2018, when he decided after a fine showing in the Olympic Games uh, in uh, Winter Olympics where Germany won the silver medal, uh, that uh, Leon put in a plug for him for the Oilers to sign him, and he wound up signing with Chicago instead. And he's bumped around the NHL a little bit, but, you know, he's done well. He's scored, he's outscored uh, on three different teams two which weren't particularly good teams either, uh, Chicago and Buffalo. And in between times, he had a good stint in Pittsburgh, which, of course, is a strong team. Uh, but he's uh, he's put up some pretty sort of promising numbers. And the they're NHL even more level. than
0: that. I'd say yeah. they're even more than that, Bruce. Like, honestly, he could score. score. I cannot figure out with all of the people involved in analytics. And, you know, let's face it, one of the best analytics is still points per game, points per 60 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at even strength. Mm-hmm. This guy, he, in the last two years, he averaged 2.2 points for 60. Ryan Nugent mm-hmm. Hopkins, in the same time period, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who's rumored to be signing like a $6.5 million per year contract, five years, heading mm-hmm. into his 30s, heading into his yep. 30s, he scored 2.1. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Taylor Hall, in his last two years, 2.3. And this guy's at 2.2. Jordan Eberle, mm-hmm. 1.66, Bruce. 1.66 points per game, oh, even strength the last two years. Points per 60. Mm-hmm. Points per 60. And mm-hmm. um, so this great offensive indicator over a fairly long time span, and this guy's killing it. So I, I was curious to see, um, to go over some videotape, which I, what I've been doing the last day here. I've been looking at his mm-hmm. games. I've watched three of them so far. Oh, yeah. Uh, wa- watched his shifts in three games. And, see? like, who who the heck is this? Like, Mm -hmm. You know, you know, who's guy who's outscoring Jordan Eberle. And I'll tell you what, he reminded me a lot of Jordan Eberle. He, um, he, he's got, he's really good with the puck.
1: Mm
0: He, um, he is great stick handling the puck. He's really good passing the puck in in fairly tough positions. Mm -hmm. He he will find a way to get off a good pass. Um, So the stick handling the puck and passing the puck, I think, are his real strengths as a hockey player. Just like they are with Everly, right? That's when you when you imagine Jordan, Jordan Everly. Um, that's the kind of player right. that you, that you you know. Those are the skills. So he, um, I'm not surprised. I, you know, honestly, Bruce, at the contract that Everly's on compared to Cahoon, mm-hmm. like it, there's a no-brainer who I would pick for next year on my team. Mm-hmm. And even if they were earning the same amount of money. I might pick Dominic Cahoon. I think I would. He's younger, and he's outscored him two years running. His, he, You know, in terms of the other aspects of his his game and his defensive play, that kind of thing, I, I can't really say yet. He He mm-hmm. does seem to be able to, when he goes into battles, to win his fair share of them because he's got quick hands, really good hands, and he wins the puck and stick handles it out of it and makes a quick play. He, I could see him, you know how much I love me that dynamite line of yes. Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl, and Yamamoto. I'm mm-hmm. I'm in love with that hockey line. It's a well-known fact among people mm-hmm. who listen to this podcast. Yes. It doesn't upset me, though, the idea of Cahoon playing with Dreisaitl and, let's say, Yamamoto. It's kind mm-hmm. of an interesting idea, but I really think Cahoon might work with McDavid okay. because he doesn't need the puck. He doesn't need the puck on his stick to be successful, but he's a really good passer of the puck, really smart hockey player. And I think he could combine well uh, with Connor McDavid on the attack. Um, he, it's just he's just the right kind of guy. Now, I don't know who the other guy would be, but I think McDavid Cassian. needs might be Cassian. They could be Pilly arby down the road. They, um, they, I'm not sure about that, but I think Cahoon can play with. I'm, I'm going to say Cahoon can play with any offensive players. Because he's just one of those guys like Drysdale or Yamamoto or Nuge who read the game really well, moves the puck really well, and I, I think I like him a little bit better than RNH with McDavid because I think Nugent Hopkins thrives best when he's actually carrying the puck a little bit more, when he's using his speed and and wheeling around the offensive zone a little bit, and he does that I think on the on the uh, dynamite line with Drysdale and Yamamoto. You see that aspect of Nugent Hopkins' game. With McDavid, there's a bit more where you're subverting yourself, that kind of skating with the puck to get him the puck to skate mm-hmm. with the puck. Uh, so Cahoon is a little bit less of a wheeler with the puck. He's more of a, a dealer. Get the puck, move the puck. Get the puck, move the puck. Move to open space. Uh, he, he does carry it now and then, but I just think he might be a really good uh, bet with McDavid. I think, he, obviously, he, he's shown chemistry in the past with dry settle, so that could really work mm-hmm. as well. But... Bruce, um, nice to have an on. amazing, I, I'm going to just, you know, an amazing signing by Ken Holland. But I don't want to give, I, like, I want to give Ken Holland credit. But let's face it. When we look at the sum total of all these signings, Turris coming to Edmonton on a pretty good deal. Tyson Berry coming to Edmonton on a great deal. Cahoon coming to Edmonton on a great deal. Um, Tyler Annas coming to Edmonton on a, I think, for his level of point scoring, mm-hmm. a pretty damn good deal, too. This isn't all happening cuz Ken Holland's a nice guy and has a winning smile and a firm handshake. It's because this team has look two in the
1: eye and an easy smile.
0: <laughs> this team has two MVPs. And this is this is we're really seeing it this year I think for the first like maybe not for the first time like we got Lucic because of McDavid, David, right? But this is the first time we're actually seeing lots of like lots of discount deals coming to Edmonton. And maybe it's just because of COVID, the COVID crash in contract prices, but we are really seeing it in a big way with this signing with Barry. I think definitely those two signings, like highly skilled attacking players, coming here because they want to get they want a piece of this action that uh, McDavid and, and uh, Drysaddle are creating in Edmonton.
1: Well, by my math, four point eight million for four forwards: Turris, Ennis. Uh, Cahoon and Puliarvi that have been signed since October the 7th, and that was uh, that was a day that I, this shocked me, and it still kind of shocks me that Buffalo did not qualify this player after trading two guys for him. Mind you, two guys that were going to lose in the offseason, they traded two guys for him in the um, uh, uh, in the um, uh, trade deadline. And he came in, he played six games, two goals, two assists produced, and then he um, uh, they didn't qualify him. And he was only making like an entry-level contract. So it's not like he was like a fancier that needed a $3 million qualifying offer. He needed something under $1 million. Basically, well, what- he needed what the Oilers paid him would have been his qualifying offer.
0: What I've read is he had Arbright's, though, and they were. What I've read is yes. they were worried. This is another case. Yes. Of of, of them worried they were going to end up paying like three million or two two point nine like so, between two and three million for this player that they didn't want to pay that amount to. Like I and what I would say to Buffalo is, you made a mistake. Like you you're paying eight million dollars to Taylor Hall, um, who in the last two years has barely outscored this player. And this, this player's younger. Um, and I'm not saying Taylor Hall is not a better player. Taylor Hall is a better player than than Dominic Cahoon. They're much different players. Mm-hmm. You know, C- C- Cahoon, another guy that comes to mind is Chris Versteeg, Bruce. It's it's that kind of, kind of smart... Like, that's the lower end of this kind of player is Versteeg. But Versteeg had a good NHL career just by being a smart winger, you know, playing right. his position, moving the right. puck, and getting the odd goal. So, the, you know... That that would be another kind of he's he's in that Everly, um, uh, Everly Verste spectrum somewhere somewhere in there or or maybe even ahead of Everly um, at this point in his career, so I don't know what Buffalo was thinking but that's what I read. Do you want to do you want to go over some of the comments other people have well, said and then get your go I, ahead. I got
1: a couple yeah just a couple more things on okay. his on his production. Uh, he's um, uh, two years in the league, uh, two thirty plus point seasons playing you know uh 14 13 minutes a night the two years uh not much on the power play and not much production almost all of his production is at five on five and this is actually great for the orders because five on five is where they were weak last year the power play doesn't need a lot of help they need somebody to fill out the top the top six and i've written a couple of posts along this line about the about the uh Uh, the segregation and scoring and the Oilers having two first lines and two fourth lines. And really they had one and two thirds first lines based on scoring rates. They had five guys that were like 2.2 points per 60 at five on five. And then the whole rest of the forwards groups were below 1.2 points per 60. And that literally is is the difference between first and fourth line scoring rates. And, there was just this big gap there, and, and Holland filled kind of the third line level with Ennis, with Tourists by bringing to pull the back. But there still was like this gaping hole at two left wing uh, behind Nuge. And my, you know, my first solution was let's clone Nuge. Well, obviously that's uh, out of the question. Uh, but now all of a sudden you've got another guy that plugs in there who last year scored 2.43 points per 60. You gave a two-year rate. Well, last yeah. year he scored an even higher rate uh, playing with Pittsburgh and then with Buffalo. But, you know, he, it wasn't like he was playing with Sidney Crosby, 11 minutes with Crosby. He wasn't playing with Jack Eichel, three minutes with Eichel. He was playing. He played a little bit with Malkin, I guess, but he, he, he largely played with Jared McCann in Pittsburgh and with um, Marcus Johansson in Buffalo those are pretty good players David yes. but you wouldn't call them first line nhl players and yet he scored you know he scored uh, he scored big uh, in you know fairly limited size certainly with Johansson just one hour and six games in buffalo but uh, four points and <coughs> you know, he just um, so in theory when you when you lay out the roster the depth chart just based on on even strength scoring all of a sudden, bingo, bango, bongo, you've got, you got two full lines of guys who can score. And then a third line of guys who can score not bad. I mean, Turris, <laughs> and Ennis, I mean, they're proven NHL scorers. And and Jarvie, uh, well, he scored in Finland last year, and obviously the hope is there that he'll blossom into at least a, a reasonable facsimile of a scorer. So all of a sudden, the Orders have two first lines a third line and a fourth line, and boy, oh boy, is that a lot better equation on the offensive side of things.
0: And some good depth at forward too. Like, that, they got a fifth deep.
1: line. They got a fifth line too.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's Lots go of over some problems s- to solve. Yeah. Let's go over some of the comments. Here's uh, hockey writer Matt Larkin of the Hockey News on the Cahoon signing. He says, depending on where he plays in their lineup in 2020, 2021. Cahoon has potential to end up as the as the steal of the off season, as the steal of the off season. At such a low price, there's no risk in the Cahoon deal, and yet, given how he's shown in small sample sizes so far in his career, there's a fair amount of reward potential. That makes the acquisition one of the shrewdest on paper so far this off season, and I, that's a fair comment. Um, it could it could be um, if he gets. He's not gonna like. I don't think he is gonna be on the power play. I'd be surprised that. Although I wonder why he isn't. He's such a good offensive player. Uh, He might not be much of a shooter. I don't know. But anyway, he's. But if he gets, if he continues, like if he gets two point two points per game, Bruce, like that'll be Mm -hmm. fantastic. I mean, Athanasio, I think was at one point eight, and over the last maybe over the two years, over the two years, one point
1: one. Is that a seal? Are you the, sure? 1. Yeah, he, he fell off a cliff. I think it was 1.13 for the year. It was a combined number with Detroit and Edmonton, so I, 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 I might be off by a bit, but not by much. Okay. But he didn't score either place, really. So.
0: All righty, let's keep going here. Here's one that got your attention, Bruce. This is from Nick Alberja, Toronto radio host and NHL host of The Fan Mm-hmm. Uh, 590 Sportsnet And Sirius XM NHL He says It's November 1st 2020 We're smack dab in the middle Of a pandemic And Oilers fans are rejoicing Over a reported signing of Dominic Cahoon Cahoon, McDavid, Poolyarby It's over Stanley Cup So um, I think yeah. he was kind of dripping with sarcasm If I'm what not you mistaken think?
1: Toronto radio guy dripping with sarcasm. Hey, <laughs> I kind of well, sold. I honestly, oh.
0: Bruce, I'm such a fan of this signing. I kind of took it at face <laughs> value when I first read it. Like,
1: <laughs> well I'll, I'll say, what's his name again? Nick?
0: Nick Albergia.
1: Nick. Okay. Well, maybe Nick. Uh, Crazy Everton fans are celebrating. Maybe Everton fans still remember how to celebrate because it's only been 30 years since the Oilers last won the cup. I think Toronto fans, there are not many of them. See, he's uh, judging from his profile pic. He doesn't remember 67. So he doesn't remember, he doesn't remember 90. either come to that. But anyway, the pandemic is, you know, I mean, obviously, are we supposed to spend our whole lives being depressed? Or are we allowed to, to allowed to enjoy little things around the edges of life? I'm still following my hockey team. I'm still hoping that they're doing things to improve the team. And I think yesterday they took a big step to improve the team. So, Sure, I'm celebrating. Come Deals. on. You're
0: telling me that Nick that Nick <laughs> Dalbergia wouldn't be have been excited if Cahoon had signed in Toronto? Like oh, if you on that contract because you should be. Yeah. Because y- you know, you've just easily replaced uh who who have they lost? Andreas Johansson and Capitan. You know, oh, I think five. he if I'm not mistaken, he might mm-hmm. have outscored both of those guys at even strength last oh. year. I think Johansson was pretty good, but he was right
1: next to, and the, and the uh, he was 36th in the league of the 371 forwards who played 400 minutes, which is like basically 12 forwards per 31 teams. Yeah. And he was 36th. So he was in the top 10% of scoring per 60. And, I mean, obviously we're focusing on this stat, not total points. He didn't get the minutes. Some of the other guys did. And he was right there. The guys right next to him were uh, Sean Couturier and Sebastian Aho. I mean, these are real wow. good players. Like, you know, we're not talking about, you know, if, uh, you know, if a couple of surprises <clears throat> on the same list around the same place, but guys that produced in their roles, and he's one of those guys.
0: Here's Edmonton Journal hockey writer Jim Matheson at Jim Matheson on NHL, which is his new account. After right. he got hacked there. All right. Modern world. It's just oh, it's a, so a, it's a lovely and loving place for This world <laughs> we live in. All right. With left wing Cahoon. Here's Jim. With left wing Cahoon signing with the orders. They have sixteen signed NHL caliber forwards and prospect tire, left wing Totter Benson also in the mix. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine Totter Benson in Australia reading this news and being some ticked. Anyway, mm-hmm. something's gotta give before before the season starts a trade, burying a contract in Bakersfield, moving it forward somewhere. So, yeah, like, the two names mentioned quite a bit are Alex Chason and Jujar Kera. And, like, honestly, Bruce, I'll be surprised if the owners can move either of those contracts in the in the modern and current NHL. Like, who's going to take on those contracts? Because they're both a little bit overpaid, I would say, especially in this COVID-era contract situation. We'll have to come up with a clever moniker for that. But uh it's... Who's going to take on Chase on it more than two million a year or Kara? at, What is it, one point two or one point six or what is he? One
1: point two for Kara, two point one five for Chase on, both with a year to go. So not exactly crippling contracts, but uh, not necessarily that appealing to other teams. Uh, um, both of those guys, unlike Cahoon, both those guys have most of their value that they contributed last year was on special teams. Kara on the PK and Chase on the PP. And otherwise, they're, you know, bottom six players. And I, I'm a fan, personally, of Chase on. I think, me too. I think, I think he is a better player than he generally gets credited for. Lots of people don't look at that contract and just want to get rid of the guy. But uh, he brings a lot to the table to me. So
0: someone's like going to get
1: squeezed out. Someone's going to get squeezed out. So the one thought uh, in response to Maddie's specific thing is that they don't necessarily have to trade someone. I mean, they could waive and and likely the guy wouldn't get claimed and they just have extra depth. Or one very real possibility to me in 2021 is that uh, the AHL is, you know, it's no sure thing that it's going to go. And it's very possible that the NHL teams will carry expanded rosters with like 25, 26 players on it. And they'll have to do something to to allow, you know, keep – teams to keep a taxi squad or something that doesn't count against the salary cap somehow. Uh, but um, uh, I think it's it's not impossible that you're going to see the kind of expanded roster that we saw in the play-in bubble. Maybe maybe not quite as big, but but uh, like I say, 25 or 26 as opposed to 23. And all of a sudden, your 15 or 16 forwards will almost fit on that roster.
0: Here's Oilers fan Ahmed Mehta. Mm-hmm. And he he's kind of backing up a point that you made earlier. He says, fun fact, Ken Holland signed Cahoon, Taurus, Ennis, Yesa, and Barry all to just over eight million dollars. Right. Wow. That's the that's the new NHL economics, Bruce. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. that is. I would like to
1: compare it to other teams that did mass signings. And I mean, from my perspective, Holland did really well. My perspective is I'm comparing to previous summers by the Oilers more than I'm sort of parsing uh, groups of signings by other teams. Like other teams sign players and I'll say, oh, that's a pretty good deal for that guy. But I don't sort of go down the list and say, look at that, they got five guys for 4.5 million that are all pretty good. Uh, Well, that's basically what what Holland did, was he got guys, uh, I mean, Cahoon, He's the only guy, or him and Paul Yarby are the only guys that got raises. Well, I guess Ennis did too, but very small raises for for guys that, you know, coming off of uh, pretty good seasons. And all the other guys took big haircuts. And, uh, you know, Ennis was, you know, he was a $6 million player last year. He got bought out. And now, you know, he's getting paid more not to play by Nashville than he's getting paid to play for the Oilers. And they got... Um, uh, Barry went from you know a 5.5 million dollar contract, four year contract, where he averaged 48 points per season on that contract, and he took a he took a haircut all the way down to 3.75. So, there you know the the money was a little scarcer, and some of the, I guess more more um, uh, practical agents were saying you know we gotta we gotta find a place that's going to give us a you know going to give us a game. And, uh, you know, we might have to take a bath for a year. And, you know, mostly these are one-year deals. And I think Holland is taking advantage of the market situation. He's also, in a sense, taking advantage of the fact that he does not have cap space. So he can negotiate with those agents in no uncertain terms. You know, here's my list of... uh, uh, signed players, and this is how much cap space they got left at the bottom, but you want this much of it, you can have it, but that's as far as I can go, and I think that's what happened with Barry, he just laid a 3.75 million offer on the table, and he took it, and he tried the same with Markstrom, and he didn't take it, well in the oh, end, goodness. the Markstrom money wound up going to three or four skaters instead of one goalie, and, and you know, you can judge at the end of the day whether that was a better uh, use of resources, but uh, I'm Pretty happy with uh, many of the skaters they had.
0: Here's uh, Buffalo hockey writer Mike Harrington. My info was Cahoon was looking for 1.5 to 2 million range from Sabres. Overshot what they were willing to do, and they weren't, really, they weren't taking chance on arbitration. He ended up having to take far less from Edmonton. Still doesn't explain Jurgensen's contract, but nothing will, really. Yes, Sabers found a way to keep Cahun. Yes, there was zero reason to give Jergensen's for to sign Jer- Jergensen's for three years or maybe even at all. But we saw Cahoon for six games. He scored uh, 13 and 12 goals in his first two NHL seasons. Let's not get crazy here. They got Hall and Stahl. so he's saying yeah. like you know we got, we got these two good guys and let's not you know so he's trying to put a positive spin on it. Um, let's there's let's move on to um, here's Sean Patrick Ryan. The oil knight and he uh, who blogs at the cult writes at the cult of hockey. Um, he, Sean Patrick Ryan says the German connection of Drysdale and Cahoon sounds real nice, and all, mm-hmm. but so did Drysdale Reader. So, yeah, he says, I'll remain, he, he says I'll remain cautiously optimistic. Is his
1: okay? Well, Reader, Reader, I mean, he had four straight seasons of twelve plus goals, and he came to Edmonton and he scored zero zero goals. I mean, that's hard to do. Uh, But Reeder, he's a German, and that's his connection to Drysaddle. They played on a couple of national teams together. They were never in the same age group. Uh, Drysaddle and uh, Cahoon, three seasons together in youth hockey, and by my count, something like 11 tournaments that they played together. And again, I say mostly as line mates, U17, twice in the U18, twice in the U20, four times in the world championships, the last four in a row. So, I mean, these guys, you know, they've maintained this relationship over time. It's not like, well, they played together 10 years ago when they were kids and they haven't seen each other since. Far from it. They've seen each other pretty much every year played together.
0: So uh, we have Mark Spector, SportsNet Spec, had a kind of a extended comment and I'll just kind of he was summing up a lot of stuff and I'll just go with what he, he his conclusion at the end. Right. And he says, Right now it looks like Edmonton will score more in the regular season, but can they win a two to one playoff game?
1: Yeah.
0: Or does Edmonton more resemble Toronto, a good <laughs> regular season team that can't handle playoff hockey? Bruce, um, I think it's a fair comment. The Oilers' goaltending didn't improve. Um, They didn't. You know, it's it's questionable whether they'd improve the defense. If you want to make the argument, you can make the argument with Clefbaum out um, and losing Matt Benning that they're not going to be better on defense this year.
1: Mm, I don't one guy very.
0: I'm uh, more bullish overall than than. Well, Mark is he's asking those questions. Yeah, and um, they're fair questions. What I would say is I think Caleb Jones uh, is going to be as good as an injured Oscar cleft Caleb Jones will give us what an injured Oscar cleft is, especially an injured Oscar Clefbaum in the playoffs. He was, frankly, really weak. And Caleb Jones, it will be at least that good as an injured Oscar cleft And that Tyson Berry replacing Matt Benning is just exactly what the Oilers needed, exactly what this team who couldn't move the puck, Against Chicago, who struggled with defensemen who were slow and could not move the puck. Too many of those guys, you know. I just see them. Jones is at least as good a puck mover as an injured Oscar Klefbaum. Tyson Berry is dramatically, dramatically better than mm-hmm. uh, than Matt Benning. You know, I in terms of them being like the Leafs, I'd like to. I, I will introduce you to Darnell Nurse, Zach Cassian, Leon Drysittel, James Neal, Axe Chase, on Adam Larson. The orders are have a number of really big, tough, aggressive hockey players who are going to be super hard to slow down in any kind of playoff series. Um, And, and, you know, not all of them had played their A game this year in the playoffs, but not close to it. But it was a weird year. No Uh fans. Maybe this team had to go through a really tough learning experience. So I don't see the owners being like... I don't know enough about the Leafs to really criticize that team. But I see this team as a, as a pretty tough team uh, when it comes to the playoffs with some really big guys, including Connor McDavid, who isn't a small player. Um, so, no, I'm not that worried about Edmonton and being able to win that 2-1 to game. I, and I was, you know, they, they, they lost some 5-4 games. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, it's a weird series against Chicago, let's face it. But I think this team is dramatically it's dramatically better than, um, than, than the team that, that Holland certainly started out with last year. And also, I think it's, it's much better than the team he finished with.
1: Well, it's better offensively. And I think basically that's the common thread to all the guys that have been added, from Barry to all his forwards, is that they're all offensive players, pretty good offensive players. And I think all guys that you think first of them being offensive players as opposed to being checkers, uh, the downside is uh, not even so much five on five. I think the third line can at least hold their own out there. You know, they they're not going to get outscored by twenty goals the way the Shayen line was last year. So that's going to be an improvement. But I'm concerned about the penalty kill. Yeah. And I'm concerned about the loss well, of Clefbaum. Uh Barry doesn't kill penalties. I'm concerned about the loss of uh, uh, of Shane. They haven't they haven't found a Shane to fill his role. And it's very likely that Jujar Kera, whether he gets moved from the team altogether, he's going to spend some nights in the press box likely. And now all of a sudden they're down two of their top four penalty killers, uh, as well as one of their key defensemen. And last year their penalty their penalty kill kicked butt. And part of the reason was that, you know, the goalies, both goalies were terrific on the PK. But uh, the penalty kill, I think, is is set up for maybe a crash, and and uh, it's a little bit of a concern. They're gonna they're gonna have to figure out who among guys like Gaetan Haas and uh, uh, Kyle Turris, for that matter, who among those guys uh, can they rely on to, to put in a regular turn on the penalty kill, and hopefully not load up Drysaddle with another two or three minutes a game on top of the twenty three that he's putting in already.
0: You know who's killing penalties in Finland is, yes, a and doing a damn good job of it, honestly. So, let, let's shift over to, you know, watching, we've been watching some of these players overseas. Sure. Bruce, um, the what I saw of, of Puglia in the games, regular season games that he's played this year, was incredibly heartening. Just in the transformation of the player. In his last year in the NHL, he was, you know, essentially he's moved from from prey to predator. Mm-hmm. In his last year in the NHL, he, he was overmatched. He was injured. He was falling down all the time. He had lost his confidence. He was hardly getting. A, he was, you know, getting weaker line mates. Uh, he played a lot with Lucic. Um, it was just a mess. It was a freaking mess, is what it was. Mm-hmm. Watching him in Finland is it's just it is to see a player transformed. He is dangerous on the ice he he has a predatory vibe on the ice and uh he he's the, the you know clearly the straw that stirs the drink on that team he's he runs the power play um um him and his uh i can't remember his teammate from there's a guy from edmonton sherwood park guy who's playing with All him right. as, mm-hmm. as his center an older guy but pulley on the left half wall and he he's he he gets the puck and he makes good decisions with it. Fakes a shot, makes a nice pass. Um, you know, is, is moving the puck really well. Uh, just wheeling with the puck, winning, playing some physical hockey now and then in a not very physical league. He's as likely as anyone to to hit. Um, it, it was just really encouraging to watch those games and, and to see him coming along. And I it, we, we, and I am saying this after Dave Tippett gave him a rave review. Watching right. the same shifts that I watched of puglia Yarvey, Tippett um, was seemed kind of ecstatic actually, and I and suddenly I could see why. Like I could mm-hmm. see why the, the light he, his eyes lit up talking about this guy. That's what I imagined hearing him on the radio. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't see Tippett, um, but he, he looks like a like he's going to be a damn good hockey player, and um, the, yeah, a third line. Of Ennis, Turis, and Puliyarvi, That sounds very, very enticing. Well, and if Cassian can't hack it on the top line, we'll see we'll see what happens. We'll see how it shakes out on the right side.
1: Yeah, I think you gotta start him down the lineup and not, I mean I think the, the it would not be a good idea for the Oilers to just bring him in and immediately put him into a top six role besides I, yeah, one of the superstars against top op- opponents and put him you know, right in the limelight. I like, let him find his legs a little bit, put him with a good experienced center. They used to use him a little bit with Ryan Strome. Well, Kyle Turris uh, kind of uh, fits the same template as, a, you know, a veteran uh, two-way center who, you know, who can be a little bit of a mentor for him. And, you know, one thing about that third line, they're going to be playing third-pairing defensemen all night long because the other team is going to be rotating their top four as much as they possibly can against... Uh, Connor and Leon, so you know, make some hay with that now with Paul I'll caution you David, uh, that both Tippett and yourself, with the videos you looked at, were from his first uh, five games of the season, and he, uh, his team they ran into a COVID snag and they didn't play any games for like a week and a half and then they came back and they played on the I think it was the 28th, the 30th and the 31st or it's like three and four days, and Yessa had no points, and he was a minus player in all three games after having not even been on the ice for a single goal against up until that point. So maybe he's come back and he just hasn't found the same level of game. So maybe there's be worth going in to look at one of those games and see if he's still doing the same thing and his luck has turned or if if uh, yeah he's a bit uh, off
0: two off two weeks.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, and that, I mean How did the Oilers
0: like, look when they were off a week, Bruce, coming back? You know, like
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know So it's oh. I think Yeah, fair enough The whole, the enough. whole team kind of struggled So, but the the high that we saw I mean, he was great in the preseason And the first He started the season And he was leading, leading the league in goals and points After the first 10 days or so And then they had that layoff And he came back Not quite the same player So that's a little bit of a, you know A little bit of a cautionary Fair you know, enough
0: what, I, what are you seeing with uh, Raphael Laboire?
1: Oh, boy, I'm seeing a shooter, shooter, shooter man. Does that guy love to shoot the puck? And I've been watching. I started with his most recent game. Uh, and he's playing on a terrible team, Vasby, the 14th and last place team in the uh, Hockey El Svenskan, Yikes. the Swedish second division. And if I've got my numbers right. Uh, they're not only in last place, but they've scored 18 goals and allowed 39. So they've given up more than twice as many goals they scored. It's a poor team. Uh, but in a way, that lets him out of jail and just, you know, just go out there and play. He's, to my eye, he's the best player on the team. Mind you, I'm looking just at his shifts. So, you know, but uh, he's got nine points and the whole team has only got 18 goals. He's got six of the goals. So the game I watched, the uh, first one, he... Uh, was uh, their most recent game, and they broke a lengthy uh, regulation losing streak by at least getting the game to overtime and losing it there. And uh, Lavoie scored the tying goal with the goalie on the bench and a minute and a half on the clock to, uh, you know, sort of at least give them the the tie and and some result to show for their their game. So that was – he just went to the front of the net and banged home a rebound. He seems to be playing a lot of left wing, right shot. On the left side, and they're opening him up for the for the one timer. And every chance he gets, he's firing that thing on the net. He's got just a ridiculous number of, of shots. And, I mean, his last four games, he has four goals, and I think 38 shot attempts. I don't have the I don't have the uh, highlight uh, the stats on screen here, but you know, he's averaging like five or six shots on net per game, and his shot attempts is like eight or nine or ten in some games, and, and he's just, you know, firing at will. So that's what he loves to do. And some of the details of his game, he's a, you know, he's a half-decent skater, like he's got a little bit of a lumbering stride, but he's like many, many big men, he's faster than he looks, and he covers the ice, and uh, he plays reasonable attention to detail on the defensive side of the puck, and, and you know, he's not sort of one of the ones making ghastly defensive errors that are resulting in goals. He himself is minus four on the season, which on a minus 21 team, it's not so terrible. You know, there's lots of mistakes behind him, I'll tell you that.
0: Um, the other player I've been watching is uh, Dmitry Samarukov. Mm. And I think I watched four or five of his games for Seska in Moscow. And um, I don't know, if, are they still the Red Army team, or did they just go by their initials, or how, what –
1: CSKA is what I know them as yeah, now. Yeah, Central Moscow Sporting Red
0: Army. Yeah, yeah, sounds right. Okay, anyway. it um, used to be
1: Central Red Army, and they were the powerhouse of the world and, and international club teams.
0: They were they a fabled they, team.
1: Well, they could really build through the draft, eh? Right on. <laughs> 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 um,
0: so Samarukov, throughout his career, he, he has been plagued. And I'm basically going from reports from Sean Patrick Ryan, who's in London, Ontario, and followed his career closely in the OHL, with inconsistency. Sam plagued with inconsistency. Mm-hmm. He's one of the, he he strikes, you know, the, the famous Gre- Grebyshkov line, you know, 95% good player, 5% secret agent for the other team. And it sounded like Sam was plagued with inconsistent effort, inconsistent results, and gaffes on the ice. Until his final year of junior, when in the last, Half of the season and in the memorial in the playoffs, he became probably the best defenseman in the in major junior hockey for for three or four months. He he went to the Bakersfield team last year and again was inconsistent, which doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot because Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones also were inconsistent and not strong players in their first AHL seasons. But this is a really important year for Dmitry Samarukov (laughs) because both Jones and Bear and other players who are going to be good they step up in their second season. You just you know, you don't. You can't be weak forever and when you start to play against the big guys. So he's not playing in the NHL, but he's playing on one of the best teams in the Russian League. And he is, Bruce, he's he's consistent. Mm-hmm. He is this he is this really interesting player. This kind of steady Eddie. He's playing on his offside. He's a left shot. He's playing on his uh on the right side like you know a la Chris Russell. But he handles the Russell effect, which is when you get the puck in your own zone and you got to put it up the boards on your backhand. That's the Russell effect. And how well you handle that will determine whether you can play the offside or not. Chris Russell doesn't actually handle it very well. But I think really more mobile players, good skaters like Caleb Jones and Samarukov handle it a bit bit better. Mm -hmm. Apparently Samarukov actually prefers to play on his offside. He's teamed up with a veteran NHL former NHL man, Klaus Dahlbeck, and they're just a really solid pairing. Who plays uh, the last little while? They've been playing the most minutes of anyone mm-hmm. on the team for defensemen. But they're in the top. He's top four D Sam right. Great plus minus number, and he's just he his most common play is he tracks the puck quickly, pivots and fires a pass over to Dahlbeck. He's really keeping it simple. Mm-hmm. That's how I think he's achieving consistency. He's playing the man. He's not over aggressive on the pinch. He's playing conservative, simple, efficient hockey like a veteran D man. I think he learned a little bit about his limitations last year in the men's game, and he's trying to build on a firm base of simple, keep it simple, stupid hockey. And he's doing a really heck of a good job. So um, he's not this super flashy player, and I don't think he's going to be, if it, you know. But I think he's got the makings of a at least a solid bottom pairing NHL D man. Maybe more than that, and we'll see. But uh, it—he's it, corrected the one major foible in his game. Well, he's
1: 21 years old, right? Yeah. He's playing top four in the KHL and succeeding at it. These yeah. are these are very very good arrows on on a good team, and he he's, uh last time I looked, he had the best plus of any um, defenseman in the KHL. 18 goals, four four against so for a plus 14 rating at uh, mostly five on five. I mean, we do know. Plus minus gets a little <clears throat> convoluted, but you know he the, the Red Army or CSKA are outscoring the other guys big time when he's on the ice. And you know everything that you just described uh, to me, including the left shot playing the right side and keeping it simple and making the good pass to his partner in open ice, reminds me of not Chris Russell, thankfully, Charlie Huddy. That's the guy yeah. you just described to me. And boy, was he a beauty that, you know, came out of nowhere and he, you know, sort of became a, a you know, a top four, solid, very reliable NHL defenseman. Nothing flashy, just a whole lot of good, smart hockey. Now, I'm not saying he's Charlie Huddy. I'm just saying everything he said kind of is a description that would apply to that player and, and uh, just a beauty of a player. And that, You know, ideally, that's what you need out of, you know, every once in a while, a third or a fourth or a sixth round draft pick all those guys has actually got to pan out. You can't just rely on your first-round pick year after year and expect your your team to grow. You got to find you got to find some some diamonds in the rough, and you got to develop them. And this is where the you know the Oilers have have uh, have consistently failed up until very recent years, and and they have uh, um, you know a long list, especially players from Europe. Uh, when you were talking about Puliyarvi earlier, I was thinking this is a guy that wasn't necessarily improving from throughout his entry-level contract. You know, it's it's like Anton Lander, or Magnus Puliyarvi, or Neil Yakupov. You know, they were almost better in year one than they were in year three, and I don't know what yeah. it was that went wrong in Everton, but it happened over and over again, and. and Everything went um, wrong. Ho- hopefully, in the case of Puliyarvi, that extra year back home and the change in management, and the change in approach here will serve to his benefit. And with uh, a player like Samarukov, Rukov, I mean, it's too early to even begin to to uh, say he was fitting that mold. Or just just it would be would be nice for them to. Uh, to, to to find a real gem of a player in the lower rounds of the draft again. That's that's ultimately how you how you build a contender in the NHL. You got to have some of that.
0: You got to have players who can fill in because you in the modern NHL you can't afford to keep everyone. This is the, this is going to be the fact of the Edmonton Oilers and it, as they become, I think, a pretty good team. Right. And I think with the defense that they're building, they're going to become a pretty good team. Uh, But they, you know, but they have, you know, not just Bouchard, and we mentioned this before, Bouchard and Broberry outside of the NHL. They've got Samarukov outside the NHL. They've got Mm -hmm. Philip Berglund, who's a really solid veteran Mm -hmm. D-man. They've got um, Kemp and Kesselring in U.S. college hockey. Two, I think they're both right-shot D-men. Two defensive right-shot D-men who've got a lot of potential. So the orders are, you know, they're not going to be able to keep. Like, let's say let's say for instance, Tyson Berry and Dominic Cahoon have really big years. Mm -hmm. They might not be able to keep either one of them, but they are going to be able to fill in with Evan Bouchard. And, you know, they're a little, maybe Raphael Lavoie, Tyler Benson, they're a little less, they need some more depth at forward, but hopefully Carter Savoy and some of these guys that they drafted this year and the other, Tuolo, what's his name? Tyler Tuolo, I can't remember his name. Tulio. Tulio. Uh, Hopefully some of these guys will develop, but the defense, the, de- the depth is already there on defense and, and Peter Shirelli deserves a huge amount of credit uh, and, and Keith Gretzky and Bob green um, for that, for that event, because um, that was built up under those guys in the last few years. Now Holland's added to it uh, mm-hmm. with Broberg, but. Um,
1: and Holland's taken over the development aspect of these yeah. previously drafted players and, you know, you go back in history, well, you, you could say, well, they drafted poorly or they developed poorly. I mean, it, it all comes out in the wash. It's the same thing. You know, they didn't wind up uh, uh, getting many NHL players from uh, day two of the draft for way too many years.
0: Yeah, and to get, uh, but again, to go back, Shirelli was the one who put Jay Woodcroft and Manson, I think, in, in Bakersfield, and yep. they had a big, big say in the development of... Um, uh, Jones Trump. and Bear so see so yeah, how it turns out well Bruce maybe we'll leave it there for tonight and we'll be back we're gonna you're gonna be writing about Lavoie going forward I'm gonna be writing more about Cahoon when I watch more of his games um, mm-hmm. I'm also gonna be digging into the games of Dylan Holloway um, mm. that he played last year in um, in college hockey and we'll be coming out in the next month with a whole series. We're going to watch all of the games, all of our Euler prospects. We're going to watch them playing games in Europe, and we're going to be filing regular reports on that. So that's what you guys can expect from us is uh, the latest hockey actually being played in the world by our very own Edmonton owner. You know, what is it? 14 of the top 15 prospects almost or something wow. like that. Yeah, they're almost uh, all over there. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to watching these games and uh, reporting back to Oiler to fans about what we're seeing.
1: Yeah, let's just hope they keep playing games over there. You see the COVID numbers sp- spiking in Europe, and you kind of wonder how long it's going to last. But for now, the Oilers have more players in Europe than any other NHL team, and it's not even particularly close. The last time I saw a published list, Edmonton had 16 guys playing in Europe, and the next best team in the league had 11. Wow. I mean that's a big gap. So, and now of course, Canada's uh, players are um, they're they're not admitted into Europe quite so quickly. Like Canada's been shut out on, on international borders a little bit more. So the guys that were already there, you know, they more or less got her beat. So that, that's an advantage that Edmonton's going to maintain as long as they're still playing games
0: it's it's fantastic isn't it like it's really a huge it's 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 quite a huge advantage
1: mm-hmm.
0: um not so much for the Oilers because not many of these guys are actually going to be on the Oilers this coming season right. but some of them will Pully Arvey well and Haas oh, well and Hoss,
1: uh and Negard maybe we'll see I mean knee Negard, Negard. guard's another guy who just got backed up with the Cahoon signing and what we do know, and I, I'll, I'll end with this, is that there's going to be great competition at all three forward positions on the orders for ice time. Yeah.
0: Because they're basically and, five,
1: five deep in qualified players at each position.
0: And fantastic. Bruce, mm-hmm. thanks for talking tonight. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.